I wish I could talk to you more about the kingdom of God today. Some people think that is the main political teaching of Jesus. What Jesus really intended to do is call us all unto himself. And in his cross he did. So when we look at the cross, we see there the center of the life of Jesus and of his teaching and also our calling as believers. Jesus laid down his life for us there. We're to lay down our lives for others. Somebody said, are you going to have a big July 4th? And I told him, I'm going to be recovering from my July 1st and 2nd. I took the kids to the beach. Been a while since I did that, and I'm feeling it this morning, all right? I had to wear these long sleeves today to cover up the scrapes from the bottom of the Gulf of Mexico, uh, where I've been beat up by the waves. But we had a wonderful time, and I am grateful every day when July 4th comes around for this country of ours and for the guarantees of religious liberty that we have. Jesus never had such an experience or context while he was on the planet. He would have thrived in a nation like ours, conceived in liberty, and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Somebody said, well, where did Abraham Lincoln get the notion of a proposition that all men are created equal? Well, it's in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Signed July 4th, 1776 in Philadelphia. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Those founders wrote that all men are created equal. That they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. That among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights... The governments are established among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. And those founding fathers laid out a nation with this kind of thought behind it. Well, Jesus never had such an experience living in a nation like ours from the time he was a little bitty baby he was in conflict with the civil authorities Herod the king wanted him dead even when he was one he became a political refugee and lived in Egypt from the time he started his ministry they were after him he never really had peace with the religious or the civil authorities of his day, and they got together to arrest him, try him, and execute him. So Jesus never enjoyed the kind of liberties that you and I enjoy. Free speech, free assembly, freedom of worship. It was a hot potato in Jesus' day. His enemies figured it was one of the prime ways they could get him in trouble was to ask him a political question. Now, I want to show you where they asked him the political question recorded three times in the Gospels. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 22. I want you to flip on over there. Matthew 22, verse 15. 
Now this is the last week of Jesus' life and he's had run-ins with the authorities in all kind of ways. He's already cleansed the temple. He raised Lazarus from the dead. John says after he raised Lazarus from the dead, you'd think that everybody was just rejoicing and happy, but that's when they really solidified, we got to kill him. We just got to kill him. People can't be coming out of their tombs. And so this is the light, this is the week of conflict that Jesus has. And in chapter 22, verse 15, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, said, You hypocrites! That stands in contrast with their words, You're a man of integrity. Everybody's being honest. You hypocrites! Why are you trying to trap me? Show me the money. You may not have known that came from Jesus, all right? It's in your Bible. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. We're bound to have trouble in regard to this question. We're bound to have trouble about it. They're trying to trap Jesus with the political question. Many uh, preachers got trapped with the political question. We hold our politics dearly. Some of us would sooner give up our religion than our politics. And these questions are loaded with politics. The Pharisees are purists. They resent the idea of paying taxes to a pagan Caesar. The radical members of their sect would go so far as to be subversive about it. The Herodians have made peace with the civil authority. They've decided the best way to survive in this kind of world 
is just to be part of Herod's team and make a buck while you can. They figure if there's one way to get the rabbi, it'll be to ask him the question on paying taxes. They compliment Jesus when they come to him. You're a man of integrity. You teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. Unlike them, of course. The Herodians, they're, they're playing politics and favorites, and so are the Pharisees and the Sadducees who want that temple to keep generating their income. They're all playing favorites. That's the way of the world. One of the reasons Jesus is a hero in your mind is because he is not susceptible to power politics. He doesn't bow the knee to the people in charge. He came to do the work of God and the will of God. And that's all. You say, that'll get you in trouble. It'll hang you up on a cross. That's what happened to Jesus. There are two freedoms Jesus enjoyed in his life that make you admire him. That's the first one. He's a man of integrity. He loves everybody. He cares for the leper and the poor, as well as the tax collector. He loves them all. Another reason you admire Jesus is because he is free from the material possessions that so dominate our lives. He's got this amazing freedom. The things don't own him. And we admire him for that. And for being a person of integrity. And so they want an honest answer. And they come to the man who's honest. And he can't be swayed by political opinion. Or by the powers that be. He's going to tell you the truth. No matter what it costs him. It's about to cost him his life. They're going to trap him. The word that Matthew uses is used only here in the New Testament and it's built from the word for a snare. They're going to snare him like they used to catch birds. They have a plan. They've laid out the trap. And they're going to snare him with his own words. Now, brothers and sisters, the church of Jesus Christ is far flung and it goes around the world. And you know it is composed of all peoples and nations and kindreds and tribes from around this planet. It is bigger than any geographical boundary that is or has been. The kingdom of God transcends all these temporary divisions on planet earth. And we have a tension in our own hearts sometimes. 
between what belongs to Caesar and what belongs to God. And what Jesus teaches here is we owe something to Caesar. Even to Caesar, a foreign power who dominates his people in his own time. Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You may think on this July 4th, well, what do I owe Caesar? What do I owe the government according to Jesus? Maybe your government is these United States. I know there are citizens of other countries here. Well, number one, I can assure you the Bible calls you to pray for the authorities who are over you, and that includes civil authorities. Have you prayed for the people in authority over you lately? Paul makes it clear you're to pray for those civil authorities. It's an important thing to do. To pray for them. Pray for their wisdom. Well, wait a minute. These guys don't even know Jesus, some of them. That's true. But you can still pray for them. And pray that they will do what is right and true. Pray for their honesty and integrity and pray for good government. God answers prayers. Governments are established among men because that is better than chaos. And governments vary in how good they are and bad they are. But whatever government is, it deserves your prayer. It deserves your loyalty. Somebody asked me the question this week. They said, do you think the founders of these United States were operating consistent with the teaching of Jesus when they rebelled against English rule? Well, there's a good question. Have you ever asked that? You know, pray for the authorities that are over you. Paul says at one point, there are God's messengers to you. My answer to them was, I agree with framers of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence that there comes a time when you have a moral obligation to oppose the government because it is evil and wicked and doing ill to its own people. And I applaud efforts around the world where even today young people are rising up against unjust governments. And I think it is within the teaching of Jesus to do that. That we have at least permission from the teaching of Jesus to rise up against a government that is oppressive and cruel. And so I think, yes, those framers, I'm grateful for them. And I think what they did was consistent with the teaching of Jesus. I think the idea that all men are created equal, it flows out of the Enlightenment and that philosophy, but it also comes from Jesus himself who loved the leper and the widow and the orphan and cared for the people who had no power in this world. And gave them dignity and talked to the woman at the well. Why would a Jew talk to a woman? Let alone a woman of Samaria. He was affirming them. Their worth. Their value. 
He talked often about the value of men and women. I believe the idea, the proposition that we have worth before God, that all people on the planet are of infinite worth, that flows out of the teaching of Jesus and is faithful to his teaching and intent. And in the church of Jesus Christ, our church has a fundamental tenet and it is historic. The ground is level at the cross. You ever heard that? How many of you ever heard that? The ground is level at the cross. What's that mean? That means in the church of Jesus Christ, all of us are sinners and we come to Jesus and the ground is level. We don't have step stairs here. This podium and this platform, it's not a pedestal. It doesn't exalt anybody. In fact, anybody in the body can come up here and stand. The body, preacher included, we're all the people of God, the laity. We exercise our gifts in the body. That's a fundamental teaching of our church. It flows out of the work and witness of Jesus. We owe to our government the salt and light which Jesus said we are. You are the salt of the world. You are the light of the world. You are that. That's your nature now as a child of God and a follower of Jesus. And there is a responsibility being salt and light in your world. You are to speak the truth in your world. It's an obligation you have in regard to whatever government you are under at any time. You're to raise your voice for truth. You're to speak the truth that Jesus is Lord. What good is it to have freedom of worship and freedom of religion if you never practice it? Not only in the general assembly, but in the country where you live, in the business where you work. To share the word of the gospel, to share the life of Jesus and the lordship of Christ, that is obligatory on every follower of Jesus who is a citizen No matter where or when. Speak the truth. Do good. Be salt and light where you are and where you live. You say, well, what if the, what if the government is against the church? Then what do you do? Well, sometimes you have to disobey the government. Did you ever disobey the government for conscience sake? That's what our founding fathers did in 1776. For conscience sake, they disobeyed the the government. Their conscience were, were stirred by the injustices. I was in Havana almost 20 years ago. And I participated in an underground meeting that was illegal. Eleven people got saved in that underground meeting. After I presented the gospel, they prayed to receive Christ. Their neighbors and friends had invited them very carefully to the meeting. There were about 45 or 50 people in the house. And I realized, even as I was preaching, that if the authorities came while I was preaching, we could be arrested and taken to jail. In fact, every pastor who was older than me in Havana 
had served time in jail. Some of them had been there for seven years. The pastor in whose church I preached spent seven years of the lives of his preschool children. He was in prison. Most often, however, civil disobedience is not to be private. If you decide that in good conscience you cannot obey the government, you ought to do it publicly if you can. And bear witness to your faith while you do it. And so there are people all over this planet today who are meeting under threat of arrest It would be very likely that today some brothers and sisters in Christ will be arrested for worshiping. It happened recently. You may have read about it just this past week. It has been the experience of the church of Jesus Christ to be persecuted in such a way almost perpetually since Jesus called us unto himself 2,000 years ago. And people of courage and faith have chosen the suffering for the name of Christ rather than the ease of rejecting his name or retreating into secrecy. I don't know what it might cost you to publicly identify with Jesus, but you ought to do it. Sometimes the cost is minuscule in our lives compared to what our brothers and sisters have given for identifying with Jesus. We hesitate to do so because it might cost us our reputation or influence. We owe it to the civil authority, the communities of which we are a part, to proclaim the name of Jesus, to let people know we serve and work under his lordship. We even do our service in our business. Unto Christ, not unto men. That's how we are oriented. We owe our government good citizenship. It's part of your stewardship. Jesus didn't have the opportunity to vote. Nobody came to Jesus and asked him, Who do you want to be Caesar this time? That's preposterous. He lived in the totalitarian regime. They ruled most of the civilized world of his day. But part of your stewardship as a citizen in a free country is to participate in the government of which you are a part. We know this freedom we have was bought with a great price. Amen? We know too that it is maintained at a price. And we ought to maintain it and pay whatever price is necessary to continue to secure the liberties which have been handed down to us. That's part of good stewardship in a government such as ours, a participation of people in a democracy. You owe something to government 
But from the very phrase Jesus uses, you know that your allegiance to government is limited. It's not without limits. It's not absolute. Your allegiance to any government is conditional. There's one allegiance you have that is absolute and unconditional. And that is allegiance to God. Render unto Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Our forefathers fought for limited government. They wanted to establish a government that understood its bounds, that had checks and balances, and that rendered to its citizenry freedoms and guaranteed those. It was by its nature from the first a limited government. Where did they get that idea? In part from rendering to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Some things belong to Caesar, but not everything. And the one who gave us this table and said, This is my body broken for you. And this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you on your behalf. The one who hung up the die at Calvary's cross said, government deserves some things. But the kingdom of God and your allegiance to Christ deserves your all. Everything you have, your ultimate and unconditional allegiance is to Jesus as Lord. And everything else in the life of the believer falls under that highest and greatest and overarching allegiance. You say, well, is this not one nation under God? Indeed it is. It is a nation under God's favor. Somebody said, why is America so great? Because we have been favored by God. We are favored with amber waves of grain and purple mountains majesty from sea to shining sea, amazing resources that God has committed to our care as a country. We are under God's favor. We are under God's scrutiny. God is watching everything we do. You say, well, how does God judge nations? Well, according to the Old Testament and the New, God will judge the nations by how they treat the people that cannot put pressure on them. How you care for the children and the aged, the widow and the orphan. You read your Old Testament prophets, a stranger among you. How do you treat them as a nation? Nations will one day stand before God on the day of judgment, the scripture says. To be judged according to how they administered justice. Were they nations of integrity? We are a nation under God's favor, under God's scrutiny, and ultimately under God's judgment. You say, well, how am I to orient myself as a citizen 
in all of your walk and work and living, you begin by saying, Jesus alone is Lord of my life. Now, for the early Christians, that cost them their lives. Because Caesar wanted their ultimate allegiance. He wanted them to bow the knee to him and confess him as Lord. Caesar is kurios. That's why the scripture says, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Your salvation is in Christ alone and your confession must be Jesus as Lord. It's how you orient yourself in the world and all other things fall under his lordship. Your freedom, your greatest freedom, is the freedom that Christ delivers through his death upon the cross. Freedom from the penalty and power of sin. Freedom to not do whatever you want, but freedom to do what you know you ought. How? Through the enlivening Holy Spirit who lives within you. If the Son shall make you free, Jesus taught us, you're going to be free indeed. And Paul said, stand therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ has made you free. And be not entangled again in the yoke of bondage. Your fundamental freedom is your freedom in Christ to live how you ought. And to have a freedom from the penalty of sin in that he has died for you on the cross. I tell you what, we are privileged to be followers of Jesus on this day, to have a heritage of faith, to live in a country of freedom. I wonder today if you have rendered unto God what belongs to him. Sometimes we give to God conditional Loyalty. Lord, I'm going to serve you as long as things go well. If you'll just help my loved one get well, I'm going to serve. I'm going to... That conditional loyalty is not what God's looking for. Jesus died on the cross as these elements declare. Laying down his life and giving his all. And he asks of us the same. A complete surrender of heart and life to the will and purpose of God. In the cross we find our liberation and our way to be in the world as followers of Jesus. Let's bow together. If you've never trusted Christ as Savior and declared Him as Lord of life, it is a moment of decision for you Come to the point where you say, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sin and that he rose again. And I am giving my life to him as best I know how and receiving him as Lord. If you've never reached that moment of decision to say to him today, Lord, I want you in my life. Forgive me for my sin and come into my life and be my Savior. That would be a great decision to make on this day. Maybe you are struggling with the tension between being a citizen of this world and a citizen of the kingdom of God. And today is a time to pray, Lord, give me wisdom as I live out my life faithfully unto you. 
God, we pray that you will give us your Holy Spirit, that you will show us how we are to follow you. Lord, I pray for those who may be struggling with the question of allegiance and conflicting loyalties in their lives, that you will help them navigate that as followers of Jesus under the Lordship of Christ. Father, I pray for those who have come into this room and never committed their lives to Christ, never received him as Savior or acknowledged him as Lord of all, that today will be the moment of decision and commitment for them. We look to you, Father God, as Lord of all, and pray that you will reign in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.